0: The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, we're so glad you're here. In that uh, worship guide you received, there's a guest card that we would love for you to fill out. Uh, That just gets some information to us, so we can get some information to you. We don't do anything weird with that or abuse that, and then you can drop that in the giving stations on your way out. Um, We also have a volunteer expo going on in the cafe, and on the first service I said this, I'll say it all three services, I'm unashamed to stand here and say, the church needs your help to engage, because what that means is the church is growing, there's opportunities for ministry, and you have gifts that God wants to engage in the body. I believe this about how God puts the church together. If there is a need, God is bringing the gift. If there is a gift, God is bringing the need, and he puts that together For the whole purpose of the gospel being declared, for Jesus being made clear, for people to be loved, and for God to be glorified. And so go visit that. You have gifts and talents that are important and vital uh, to the ministry, not just at the creek, but for the kingdom. And uh, one of the uh, uh, greeters was in here first service, and he witnessed, and I'm sure he saw it uh, through the window our greeting time, and he just wanted me to pass this on. Every one of you have already passed the test and are qualified for the greeting ministry. So (laughs) so you're all friendly and and all that stuff. So visit that and, uh, you know, let God engage you. If you need help, Joy Carr is our volunteer coordinator. She can help get you plugged in. Um, If you really want to get into some help and your spiritual giftings and things, go through our core class process. Um, You will take some assessments and things and we'll help find your best fit and get you engaged in ministry. Uh, this has been an exciting week. It's an exciting season at the Creek. If you have not seen Facebook or email, let me catch you up to date. On Friday, we closed on the property. So, <laughs> that. And then afterwards, I was like, ah. Oh. But it's a quick, ah, oh, because the next step is construction. Um, let me tell you, I, I love how God has brought this process together. I'm not good enough and I'm not smart enough to think through these things and and to 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 experience what God is allowing us to experience as a church. He is truly incredible, and we, we talk about his goodness, but how often we kind of just undersell his goodness of just, hey, I think God's good because he helped me find a parking spot at the mall. No. <laughs> Let me tell you something, God is much better than that. And uh, it's been an incredible process to sit in our banker's office and to be able to talk about our relationships with the Lord and to pray, to pray for this process, um, and then just step outside of a bank deal and pray for one another. And then in the closing on Friday, for all of us to be in this room at our attorney's office and the title company and to be able to start that whole thing with prayer. And uh, the only way you have a good business deal is to invite the King of Kings and Lord of Lords into that meeting, He Who Owns Everything. I mean, we were signing ownership of dirt and some uh, metal over to the creek, Um, but it's the God of the universe who owns everything and trusts us and lets us be good stewards with it. So um, it's just been an incredible process. Uh, What's next is the attorney uh, said uh, that he's going to review our construction contract. And then uh, today's Daytona 500-day 500 today. I don't know if you follow that. I do. It's on DVR. We've got a lot going on today. Um, and so, the best way I can describe this construction process is uh, I'm standing in this the, 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 the basket above start finish line with a green flag, and the signing of the construction contract is that going green, 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 green and some of y'all can go boogity, 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 and all that stuff, and it's going to be great, Um, but it is going to be a mad dash of construction. There is a possibility that within the next week and a half, uh, there is significant construction started, so uh, that's to give you an idea on that. Um, They're saying timeline three months. They're hoping to surprise us, but they're saying three months. It's construction five months. I don't know. Uh, I'm being optimistic. Three months, but uh, one of the things that, that we're doing, I know it's late notice and a lot of things were coming together at the last minute, uh, but today at 3 o'clock, um, actually, what I can help you plan your afternoon. After this service, you'll go to the cafe, sign up for a volunteer position, go grab a quick bite to eat, not too quick, not too heavy, because you want to be back here at 1 o'clock to help us tear down so we can get out of here quickly, and then at 3 o'clock, we're going to meet at the property and facility, and uh, we're going to have a prayer time, and uh, we'll have the new sign ready to go. And uh, we're just as a church. This isn't just for certain people. Everybody. I want everybody praying for this. And, man, what better, what better way to, to get on there and just start praying as a church family. And uh, here, here's one thing, God. Heather and I were talking about this on the way to closing the other day. Um, you know, we read about the children of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho and praising God and shouting and the walls coming down. And God really challenged me with this. Too many times in our walk and in our faith, we're marching around the wrong things. Um, God's shown us the right thing, and so let's walk together. Let's walk in unity together. I love Pastor Steve and the opportunity for Heart Song and the Creek to have unity together. I love what's going to happen with the gospel out of this location because here's the bottom line. People are going to be saved. Lives are going to be changed. That's the whole reason we do this. So anything else becomes selfish, and it's not stewardship, it's, it's us. And so that's what this whole process is about. So there'll be more information coming. There's opportunities for you to the, the, the board thing, the chair thing. We'll get into that if you want to ask me after service uh, about the chairs and the boards. It's just this week there was so much going on um, with closing. We didn't have time to get all that together. Uh, the move offering we're planning for the week before Palm Sunday. And uh, what I love about this offering is when we launched the Foundations Campaign, this is just what, in the prayer time and, and God just revealing to me, he said, Matt, what I do is enough. And so many times I'll start praying, God, we need more, we need more. And God just checks me up and said, hey, I'm the God of enough. You lock into me, and what I have is more than enough. And through this whole process, financially, everything, we've had enough. And I love that. And I'll thank you for your obedience with that because God calls us as his kids to step up and live obedient lives and walk in obedience. Thank you for that. I don't have to get up here and ask for anything or beg for anything. We're just gonna preach the gospel. And so that's what we're gonna do. Uh, We teach verse by verse through the Bible. That way it keeps us accountable to context. So we're gonna be in Acts chapter 24. Um, So if you wanna meet me there, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own a Bible, write your name in it. That's our gift to you. Some of our floor Bibles, see, some churches have pew Bibles. They go in the back of the pew. We got floor Bibles, okay? Um, so some of them are looking a little worn. Um, so if you want one and we have new ones, we can get you a new one, and uh, we'll, we'll get all that, get you hooked up. If you have a smartphone, device, anything, we're on version, and uh, you can also get all of our notes under the live tab of version. Those of you who start jonesing about eight minutes into the message for a fill-in, Uh, you version has it already done so that way you can just you see all the fill-ins your ocd has been taken care of and then you can just lock and load and listen to the message um so uh, acts chapter 24 i'm gonna i'll I'll meet you there in a minute it's kind of like y'all go ahead i'll meet you there in a minute we're going to look at some things to get there this week we're going to see paul uh on trial last week he was in front of the sanhedrin which is like the supreme court for the 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 nation of the uh, of israel for the jews and uh It didn't go well. I mean, in the first few verses, we see Paul spout off. He gets slapped in the mouth, and then it just goes downhill from there. We're going to see Paul continue that because he was pulled from that meeting, and he was taken to Caesarea. He got to spend uh, some time in the palace of Herod with some relaxation and getting ready because God's getting him ready to present the gospel. God's going to put us in front of audiences for the purpose of the gospel. He puts Paul in front of a very difficult audience in today's text, um, and it's all for the purpose of sharing the gospel. I told you last week that when you get in that situation where Mm -hmm. where things happen right for us to share the gospel, it's going to be a great opportunity. I mean, it's one of those things where you're just like, there's no other way this could have come together other than God brought this meeting. This is a, a, a divine appointment. But there's also on the other side going to be a great adversity. It's not easy to share your faith. It's not easy to give a defense of the gospel when people are asking questions. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I mean, when you're in the coffee shop, grocery store, anywhere, just talking about the gospel, it's not Sunday school questions. I mean, it's not, you know, did did God really part the Red Sea? It's, I mean, it is why is God punishing me for all this hard stuff in my life? I mean, there's a lot of mixed up theology. There's a lot of dangerous theology that people have that the enemy has lied to them and they're difficult questions. So there's great adversity. The enemy doesn't want to see their lives changed by the gospel. The enemy loves that they're still in death. And so God puts us in these opportunities with a great opportunity, but with great adversity. And so when we get into this, when you think about giving a defense of your, your faith, giving a defense of your faith is just someone saying, why does God do this? Or does God love me? Or, or it's an opportunity to share the gospel and it becomes giving a defense of your faith or sharing your testimony, giving your witness. And we know that it's an incredible thing because the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony creates transformation. The God of the universe does something incredible. Our story and the blood of Jesus can bring death to life. And that's why God puts us in these situations. That's why God allows us to have an audience with the people he puts in front of us. And so when we get there, here's the thing. Let God guide your defense. We start start to think, well, how am I going to address this? What do I say to this person? And some of you, you already know who I'm talking about the people in your workplace that you're praying for maybe it's your cube mate maybe it's the neighbor that you've you've just started having some conversations with maybe it's maybe it's the checker at the grocery store i don't know if you like me i love having a conversation with the checkers at the grocery store i do not want to be considered a transaction i want to be an interaction and so i make them talk like we're going to we're going to get into something how's life you know not just can i have my change or do you want it all on the card um, so But you start to think, what do I say? And I counsel and coach a lot of you on, what do I say to this person when I meet with them? And I'm sorry that some of you get frustrated because I can't give you this big uh, checklist of, well, when you say this, these are the magic words of, of Jesus, that when you say this, it's just, man, angels take over and everything goes right. I can't give you that. Here's what I can tell you is let God guide your defense. The Holy Spirit is the power of God that is alive in you. And when when you go into those times, say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me with your power. Give me the words to speak. And here's where this comes from. It's Matthew 10. I'll start verse 16. Actually, uh, yeah, verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings. Does that sound like Paul over the last several weeks? You'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I love this. Not only do we, do we have faith and trust that the Holy Spirit will give us the words, but also how to say it. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as a helper. This is that time when the Holy Spirit's power at work in you becomes that helper. He not only gives you what to say, but how to say it. That, that's an important thing to go together because we can have the right words, but say it in the wrong way. Have you ever had that happen? Like, that's what I meant to say, but not how I meant to say it. And and you miss, you you break the conversation. It's closed. Or you have the right heart to say, and you're, you're really nice, but you're doing nothing for the gospel. You know, it's like, God's like, come on, buddy, you know, come on, buddy. That's not what I told you to say. You know, it's kind of like that game grapevine. By the time it gets down to the end, you're like, it was nothing like that. And God's like, the Holy Spirit, that's not what He said to you but, you, but you're so worried about saying something that's going to offend people. So, the Holy Spirit gives us the words to say, how to say it. That's the power of God at work in our life. That's when we get in front of these audiences that we have the opportunity to share words that change lives. So, when we—when you think about this, last week we saw Paul try to give a defense of the faith, and it didn't go well. This week, we're going to see something a little bit different, but Jesus said here, you're going to be called to be my witnesses. Now, I know we've spent a lot of time talking about Paul in the book of Acts over the last, feels like several months. We've been in the book of Acts for over a year, and, and we'll finish it this year sometime, trust me. <laughs> um, we're We're chapter 24, so we've got 28 chapters, so I think it's going to be, I think it's going to happen this year, you know. Um, We could start taking a pool on the due date, you know, when this this thing's going to happen. But I want you to understand something. Although we've been looking at Paul and his scenarios a lot, this book, the book of Acts is not about Paul. It is about the Holy Spirit. When you see the beginning of Acts, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So what happens in the book of Acts, early on, it sets the foundation. Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit descends, and the believers go out, and the world is transformed. What God ignited in Jesus' ascension and the Holy Spirit's descension ignited the church. It ignited a movement that has been going for thousands of years. It cannot be stopped. You cannot kill it, you cannot martyr it, you cannot force it underground, you cannot legislate it out. The church will continue. When God lights the fire, only God stops the fire. And we've got to understand that when we look at Paul, we're actually seeing the Holy Spirit's work in Paul. And Paul was called to be a witness. The same Holy Spirit that ignited this movement has ignited the church even today. We gather and God has done so many incredible things in our church community, not because we're so good, but because he's so good. Because the Holy Spirit is at work and in, in the lives of us as believers with power and, and just it just cannot be stopped. And I love it. But we have to understand that when the Holy Spirit moves in us, it's to be witnesses. Paul is called to be a witness. We are called to be witnesses. Our job as witnesses is this, State the facts. Think of Sergeant Joe Friday. Just the facts, man. I mean, that's all we do. When we give our testimony, it's this is what I experienced. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. This is what happened. If you've ever been to court, I don't know if you've ever been called to give a testimony in court, you know, you I don't even think we do it anymore in the court. Do we put our hand on the Bible? That murder trial was a long time ago for me, but I got off, don't worry about it. And I'm just kidding. Um, I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Because you if you're on you version, you got your fill in, so I'm just making sure you're paying attention. But you put your hand on the Bible, or raise your right hand. You know, Do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, God? Yes, I will. Okay, sit down. And then they start asking you questions. And those questions are guided. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you experience? It's your testimony, your story. You are being a witness. I mean, you think about it like this. Here's as here's simple as it can get. That blue car ran into the red car. Well, can you tell me why the blue car? I cannot. I don't know what the mind of the driver was. I don't know what the scenario was. I can just tell you what I saw. I can't talk to you about the physics of the whole accident. I can't talk to you about what failures may have happened in the car or what may have done on this side. But what I can tell you, that car hit that car, that's what I saw. We are called to be witnesses. Too many times we like to step into the role of judge because we think that's fun, you know. We get the the gown and the gavel, and we're like, I want to be judge. Here's the problem with Christians being judges. We are very, here's the problem with humans being the judge. We are very, very, very ill-equipped to do the job of a sovereign God. And God says, that's my job. Well, then we think, well, what's next? The lawyer. We are not called to argue for the kingdom. We're not called, when we talk about giving a defense, we're not Jesus' defense attorney. Let me tell you something. Jesus is big enough to represent himself. Jesus is big enough to defend himself, to handle himself, and we get to go along in what he calls us to do. And he says, what I empower you to do through the Holy Spirit is to be witnesses. What have you seen the power of God do in your life? I can't explain to you everything that's happened in my life, but I can tell you it's the power of God at work in my life. Well, what's, what, how, how do you explain all that? I can't. I can tell you. The blue car hit the red car. And I, I just, I see the beautiful collision of God in my life. That's what we're called to do. So let me let me give you some further instruction on being this witness. It's 1 Peter 3.15. Um, he says this, uh, But when, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Understand this. Always be prepared to give an answer to, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be ready to share your story, but do it with gentleness and respect. We don't want to be witnesses found in contempt of court. We are called to be witnesses to give a defense of our faith with gentleness and respect. So that sets the parameters of being a witness. That's kind of like the courtroom rules. Okay, that's like the rules for us to engage in how to share this story. So let's let's get into this real quick. Um, Acts chapter twenty four, uh, starting verse one. Five days later, the high priest Ananias. Okay, what? Five days later is remember last week Paul's before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. It does not go well. They pull the soldiers pull him out. And there's the whole plot to kill Paul and ambush Paul. They get him by night to Caesarea. He spent some time in Herod's palace, which was like the Ritz-Carlton. And then now, now we're having the trial because they're waiting for the accusers to come. So five days it takes him to get here. The high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. Let me introduce you to the, some of the characters in this story. Ananias we met last week. He is the high priest. Um, historians write this of Ananias, that he was uh, greedy, profane, and hot-tempered. There's your job requirements for a pastor. What? What? I see nothing to support that in Scripture, by the way. It's like, would you follow a guy like that? Yeah, I'm right behind you. You know? You go ahead of me. You've got Ananias, the high priest. You've got Tertullus, who's a lawyer. And what you're going to see is he's very good at manipulating words um, to, the, the softest way I can say this is to kiss up. Um, and then you've got the governor who is Felix. Now, Felix is later fired by Nero for being too violent. Now, if you know your history, Nero, incredibly violent man. So, okay, so you've got an incredibly violent man just coming, Felix, man, hey, come on and sit down. We need to, we need to have a talk. Um, hey, I've prepared your final paycheck, and today's going to be your last day, and sorry, the centurion's going to have to walk you out. We're going to have to let you go. Why are you letting me go? Well, you're just too violent. Okay, coming from Nero, okay, that says an incredibly lot about the violence of Felix. So what you've got, this is the audience that Paul has put in front of, a greedy, profane religious leader, a lawyer who's a kiss-up, And then Felix, who was fired by a violent man for being too violent, okay? Paul's got to be like, thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. (laughs) This is a great opportunity, yet a great adversity. Okay, this probably helped Paul shut up. Remember, there was humility as a result of what happened in Jerusalem Okay, this is probably pushing Paul into the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay, you said when you bring me before your kings and kingdoms and these and, and rulers that you'll give me the, what to say and how to say it. God, I need your help because this and that is not a good panel. And so here we go. Um, verse 2. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request you be kind enough to hear us briefly. Um, The point that's going to come after I say this is uh, let hypocrisy be outside of the church. Because what Tertullus is using, when you look at this in the Greek... This foresight refers to a providence that only God can provide, the peace that he's saying. What he's doing is he's buttering Felix up, but he's giving him worship. Most excellent Felix, your foresight is like none other. We've enjoyed great peace and the reforms that you've brought about. Okay, there was not a good relationship between the Romans and the Jews. There was no peace. There was tolerance. There was an allowance of existence. And this whole idea of letting the hypocrisy be outside the church, we don't need to go around trying to butter people up. There's enough hypocrisy for us to deal with. Let me explain to you what hypocrisy is. Um, To understand that, you've got to understand what a hypocrite is. And then just before the first century, um, in the Greek plays, and you would see the amphitheaters, they had incredible acoustics. So you would have an amphitheater with the, the, the stadium seating. And no matter where you sat in that theater, you could hear very well what was going on on the stage because of the acoustics. Now, the problem was is the people who were sitting in the back, they couldn't see the facial expressions. They had the acoustics down but didn't have a way of projecting the image. So what they would do is the players on the stage for the play or the tragedy or whatever was going on, they would make these giant masks and they would hold these masks in front of them with the facial expressions to deal with what the character was saying. Well, what that solved was people not only could hear them no matter where they are in the amphitheater, but then they could also see what's going on. Now, here's the spiritual principle behind hypocrisy and being a hypocrite. There are too many of us And I am so guilty of this. I'll be the first one to tell you that I'm a sinner and that I've had to repent of this, and I can tell you from experience how exhausting this is. But in in Christianity, in the church, we carry this giant mask so that people always see a smiley, happy Christian guy. And they can always hear the voice of, Oh, praise God. Jesus is good. Yeah, life is good, man. I'm, I'm the best husband because Jesus is alive in me. And, I, man, I'm the best employee because just the Holy Spirit gives me power to work. And, man, everything in my life is under control, praise God. And you're carrying this mask. And here's the problem. You are dying inside. And you're exhausted from carrying this exterior. And you get in the quietness of your space and you drop that. And, and you do not, the reason we do it, we don't like what we see in the mirror. We like the mask, but it's exhausting. Let's let that be outside of the church. I'm a mess, you're a mess, people are a mess. The best thing you can be at the creek is yourself. If you're struggling, let us struggle with you. If you're doing well, let us celebrate with you. But this is a safe environment for us to come in and be honest about it. And let's not fluff things up with words. If it's not going well, let's talk. That's the only way we get to the, to the life that God has created and called us to live. Let's get past the hypocrisy. It's exhausting anyway. I may not like everything about me, but I know I'm a, I'm a work in progress with God. And I spend a lot less time exhausted from carrying an exterior that's fake. I, a lie. So let's let that be outside of the church. Verse 5, we have found this man, this is Tertullus speaking, we have found this man to be a troublemaker stirring up riots. Okay, the Jews were the ones stirring up the riots. Paul was just preaching the gospel. You look back at his history, Paul didn't incite the riot. The riot got pinned on Paul because people didn't like the cross. They didn't like the gospel. They didn't like Jesus. They're like, you're fi- we're fine with God and the law and the prophets. But once you start to talk about Jesus and his death and his resurrection and being the Messiah, you're way off, buddy. So this word troublemaker in Greek means plague or disease. So your great, excellent Felix, this plague is the disease that is causing riots in this land all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Nazarene was Christianity. Jesus of Nazareth was a Nazarene. They called Nazarene sect... Christianity, and even tried to desecrate the temple so we seized him. By examining him for yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. So you've got Tertullus giving his argument. He's just setting Paul up. Let let me say this. I'm, I'm proud of Paul. He recognizes the audience he's in front of, and he has kept his mouth shut. Remember last week, Within the first verse, he'd already been smacked in the mouth and it just went downhill. So, I mean, that's restraint of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gives you the words and how to say it, you know another fruit of the Holy Spirit? Self-control. And the Holy Spirit is giving Paul that self-control to keep his mouth shut. There will be a time to open your mouth. Sometimes we just need to keep our mouth shut because it's not time to give a defense. And so... Tertullus is going on and going on, and here's the beautiful thing. Paul's going to speak in a minute, but he doesn't make his innocence the point. He makes Jesus the point, the resurrection the point, the God of our fathers the point, the the Scripture the point. You see, our job is not to convince people that we're good Christians. It's to convince people that Jesus is everything they need, that Jesus is the only thing they need. Because if we try to put up the face that we're good Christians, man, eventually you're going to get so tired of holding that mask that the real you is going to shine through. I can't be a good Christian all the time, but I can do everything I can to submit and humble myself to a good God, to a faithful God. So when we live righteous lives, it really helps take some of those roadblocks out of the way. It's not going to remove all of them, but when we live hypocritically, it's going to give people ammunition. Let's not give them ammunition. There's enough. The enemy can create enough of it. And so let's let's do everything we can. This isn't perfection, folks. This isn't me saying you have to be perfect. I'm saying you need to submit to a perfect God so that his righteousness grows and develops in you, that the fruit of the Spirit grow and develop in you, that the perfect God can manifest himself and work in and through you in a perfect way. I've been following Jesus for a long time, and I still get in the way. And I have to repent and humble myself. So let's see Paul do this. Before we see Paul talk, remember what I shared with you in 1 Peter 3.15. When we give this answer for the hope that we profess, we do this with gentleness and respect. So let's give our defense with gentleness and respect. Let's see how Paul does it. Um, Verse 10. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. Okay, Paul's not puffing him up with words. He's stating the facts. He's respecting the position without respecting the person. Some, sometimes you, you need to respect the position that God has given people in your life, but it doesn't mean you agree. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It doesn't mean you agree with the policies, but you still submit to that authority. And you have to respect that authority. So Paul's given a respect for the position. I mean, you were appointed governor, so you've done something to get there. And and I know you've been governor for a while, so I'll gladly make my defense. And so verse 11, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. He's just dealing, he's attacking the case, not the people. Paul's not going after Tertullus, not going after Ananias, not trying to build Felix up to then come around the back and then kind of swipe him into his way. He's dealing with the accusations. He's answering the questions. They're trying to bring accusations against Paul. Paul's answering the real questions in this case. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you that the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. What he's saying is, I follow God. He is the God of our fathers. And this way that you follow, Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul's like, the only way to holiness, to forgiveness, to life, to grace, to the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work, is through Jesus And I'm a part of the way. That's like saying, and I'm here, and I'm guilty because I'm a Christian. Because I've submitted my life to Christ. And I believe everything that's written in the Scripture. I believe the Bible is true. The law and the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So what he's saying is, I believe that there will be a judgment coming. That the hope that I put in in this resurrection is that we will all stand before God. And in that moment, we will be separated as sheep and goats. The righteous and the wicked will both stand before God. And we will both give an account for our life. And then he says, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. What What he's saying is, everything that I preach, I try to practice. I'll be honest with you, and maybe this is just a moment of confession, but this this last fall, God really convicted me on that, about practicing what I preach. Because I talk about our body, our mind, our soul, to preach holistic health, that God is concerned with our body, our mind, and our soul. And I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. And the Holy Spirit, He humbled me. You know, a lot of you are doing the Daniel plan, that is a result of God desiring to have holistic health, that our body is important. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is not our own. I mean, God just really softly and just so gently helped me understand, Matt, your body's not yours. I paid for your body. And your body is a temple. I was treating it like an amusement park. It's been honest with you. I mean, And I was starting to look like the Hall of Mirrors, you know. God is concerned with our mind. He gives us an intellect. Church is not someplace we check our brain at the door. And He's concerned with our soul. The blood of Christ gives us forgiveness of sins, and those sins can be forgiven so that we can spend eternity in Christ. The soul is our eternal part of our being. And God says, I expect you, Matt, to practice what you preach. You tell your church that I'm concerned with all of that, and I am. You live it. And Paul's saying, I'm trying to live what I preach. I'm not always the best at it, but I will ask for forgiveness when I fail, and I will strive to do everything I can. I will strive to always keep my conscience clear before God and man. So he goes on. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance, but there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they have found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was for this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. The cross is going to offend people sometimes. Our job is not to be offensive. When Paul said this in the Sanhedrin, he was being offensive. When he's stating his case, the cross is what offends people. It's when the Holy Spirit calls our sin back in front of us. I mean, I have people that love me, that I trust, that could get in my grill, they could get in my space, and through all last year, they're saying, Matt, you need to change some things in your life. I mean, to be more specific, here was what I was being asked or being being told by people who love me and are close to me. You are not physically in shape to do what God has called you to do. And they could say it. And sometimes I got offended by how they said it. But when the Holy Spirit did it, he offended me with the cross. And it was the Holy Spirit bringing that conviction. The cross is going to offend people sometimes. But our job is not to be offensive. We've got to call sin, sin, but not be offensive in doing it. You see, the Holy Spirit not only gives us the words, but how to do it. So Paul gets up and he gives it. So then Felix, uh, let's finish this up. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. So he's, he's back in, under house arrest, but Felix gives him some freedom. Felix understands his Christianity. And so we're going to pick up to see what happens. Because we're starting to see the Holy Spirit really start to build uh, in what's going on in Paul's life and in the church, and so we're gonna we're gonna continue on that next week. But I want to step back and revisit this idea of a witness and our testimony. Because I want you to do something this week. I want you to write out your testimony. This being prepared in season and out of season to give a defense of this hope that we profess, and to do it in gentleness and respect. I want you to be able to answer, what is my story? And there's, there's a couple questions that can help guide you along the way. Think of it this way. What was my life like before Jesus? What was I like? What, what was it about? The second question, how did, how did I come to the revelation that led to my transformation? Or to break it down into simple terms, how did you get saved? The Apostle Paul gets saved on the road to Damascus. Big blinding light experience. I didn't have that. And I started to think, well, maybe, maybe I'm not saved because I didn't have this like big moment where everything happened at once. And so maybe I'm not saved. You know, mine, you know, when I got saved, man, I had a youth pastor that really just started just investing the gospel into me. And it was as though faith just, it's like a birth process. You know, that that seed was planted, and it had to be watered. It was nurtured, and then one day it's like sprouting. But it wasn't this big, bright light experience on the road to Damascus. And I started to think, well, my testimony is not as good as Paul's. I wasn't killing Christians, and then Jesus shows up, and I heard his voice. But every one of us have a different testimony, and God's reached us in, in a different way. But it all leads to this. We got saved. Death became life. How did that happen? If all of our testimony was the same way, it'd be boring. And what happens is when we have when that when that becomes boring, we start to rob God of His glory, because salvation is that which is dead coming alive. So how did you get saved? And then the third question: This is important. What's my life like after? There should be a change. Otherwise, see question two. Uh, it's, it's, I call this the 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 uh, policy of the punks or the, the theory of the punks. It's that whole principle that as you progress, the group you just left, they're punks, right? When you get into high school, you look at junior high, what do you say, punks? When you get into college, you look at high schoolers, what do you say, punks? When you get out of college and you look at people in college and you got your career going and making money, You're eating more than ramen noodles. You look at those in college eating ramen noodles, you're like punks. You get married, you look at your single friends, you're like punks. You have kids and you look at your single friends and your your married friends without kids, you're like, I want that life. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I want that sleep. There's two words I'm going to give you. So if you're at lunch and you hear... Here the here maybe maybe we'll beat the you'll beat the Baptist to, to lunch today and you'll hear these words justification and, and uh, sanctification. Justification is salvation it is think of it this way just as if I'd never sinned that's the way Jesus' blood presents us before Christ that we are justified before for God. Sanctification is maturity process it takes time it's iron sharpening iron it's growing in the knowledge and the wisdom of God it is spending time in devotion and study of the word and in prayer and that sanctification process moves us forward and it's not about comparing yourself to someone else where were you when you answered question two how did you get saved and how have you progressed what does the punk of you look like then versus now and if for some of you today may be the day that God's calling you to answer question two let's pray Father, we love you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it is the power of God unto salvation and that through the gospel you transform our dead life into a justified life that can stand before you, that can enter the throne room with you confidently. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross that gives us the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I thank you for our testimony. Every one of us in here has a story. And I thank you that you desire that it intersects and connects. You desire that it has a collision with your story. That the red car collides with the blue car. That, Jesus, you desire that our lives collide with yours. Thank you for giving us that experience, for us to be witnesses of that, and to give a testimony from that. Lord, I just pray for everyone in this room that you help bring us into clarity as we can, art, so we can articulate our story. And God, maybe there's people in this room that can't answer question two of how I got saved. And maybe the question will be answered here in just a minute of, it was one Sunday. It was February 23rd, 2014 in a church called Marine Creek Church that meets in a daycare that I called out Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. I trust you. I don't understand everything, but I just know you're colliding with my life right now. Save me. Make me a new creation. Father, I pray that that now begins a process of us maturing together, maturing in you and growing Father, that's a vital question to answer. And I pray that this week, through the testimony that you've done, through the testimony of our lives and the blood of Christ, Lord, that you put us in situations and before people and audiences that we can give a defense and answer for the hope that we profess and help us to do that with gentleness and respect. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.